So last week, um, I was sharing about how we are entering into um, this time of the year, a season of stewardship. And it's that time when we invite anyone who has been a part of our community um, here at St. Peter's to prayerfully consider how we might give of our time, talent, and treasure to the ministry here over this next year. And like in any body, um, every part matters so that I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Um, so whether you're a hand or a pinky toe, we know that in the body, every single part contributes to the overall well-being of the body. And so this morning, um, as we kind of enter into these next four weeks, um, I thought that for my message that I might help us reflect on and frame how we can pray about this in the next few weeks. So many of you um, have heard me share about my parents who are now well into their 80s. They live in Korea and have for several decades. And my mom and dad have been very just super active, very independent their entire lives. And now in their 80s, they are learning to embrace, or maybe they're being kind of forced to embrace, the limitations that time and aging inevitably have on every single one of us. But what strikes me about them is that even though they are outwardly, kind of their bodies are sort of outwardly slowing down and their minds are not as sharp as they once were, there's such a sense of joy and abundance that just flows out from them. So our reading that Kimberly read today from 2 Corinthians, um, whenever I read this verse, I think about them. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And it's this famous maxim, right? You, you reap what you sow. And what I've seen in their lives right now is this bountiful reaping of what they've sown their entire lives. So they've sown compassion and care into the lives of others. And now that they're in a position where they need help, I see this compassion and this care coming and returning to them in just incredible ways. They've sown seeds of faith in my sisters and I. So despite those years of teenage rebellion and resistance to God in the church, you know, each one of us is walking with the Lord now that we're in our 50s. They've sown love and kindness in their 58 years of marriage. And now in these last years of their lives, they, they have reaped one of the most beautiful marriages that I've ever seen. They've also sown generously with their resources, even when they were poor. So our family, as a pastor's family, did not have much when I was growing up. But I would have never known it. In fact, I didn't know it. I didn't know how poor we actually were. And now I know as an adult looking back. But I, I would have never known it because my parents were always so generous with even the little that they had. They gave to others out of their own poverty. You know, they faithfully tied to the church, you know, as a pastor, you know, giving it right back to the church. My dad, you know, my parents were often among the highest givers uh, to the church. And now in their 80s, compared to a lot of people who made a lot more money than they did and held on to it more tightly than they did, my parents are blessed with so much abundance and they lack for nothing. Who doesn't want a bountiful life in all of its different facets? But you don't just like drift into that kind of a life. It begins by the seeds that you sow now. 
And that's what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Corinthian Christians. So in this chapter 9, he's writing to them about this offering that's being taken up among the churches. And the Corinthians have been the first to commit to giving to this offering. And he's saying to them, he's reminding them about the commitment that they made, and he's reminding them too of the grace of God that they've experienced and the example of Jesus, as he says, who though he was rich, became poor for our sakes. He's saying you have this example of sacrificial giving in the one that you follow. You know, and at one point, he's kind of funny. He's like even appealing to their reputation. He's saying, I've been telling everybody about how generous you are. So don't make me embarrassed and ashamed by not following through on what I've been saying about you. You know, he's just like pulling out all the stops with them. So in verse six, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as they have decided in their heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what is a cheerful giver? A cheerful giver is someone who delights to give. Someone for whom giving is not an obligation. Like giving actually makes them happy. You know who's like this? Children. Children are like this. So the other week I was meeting up with Naka and we were walking together to pick Azariah up from his school and he didn't know that I was coming, uh, but he had drawn this picture in his class. And when he saw me, he broke out into a big smile and he held out this picture that he had drawn. And he said, I'm giving this to you. I made it for you which he actually didn't because <laughs> he didn't know I was coming. But that's beside the point. You know, this huge smile of just like he was giving me a million dollars, you know, so delighted to give me this gift. You know, Azariah is a cheerful giver. So why does God love people like this? God loves people like this because that's what God is like. You know, it's a reflection of God's very glory and nature, that God is a cheerful giver, right? It's easy, so easy to lose sight of this. You know, we forget that God delights to give. It actually makes God happy to give because that's who God is. I remember this pastor once saying that if you could boil the entire Bible down to, to one sentence, a subject and a verb, it would be this, God gave. God gave. And you might think that it would be God loves, right? But throughout scripture, the primary way that God loves us is by giving. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Romans 8, 31, that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You know, it's hard to be generous when you have a view of a stingy God. And Jesus knew something about our tendency to view God in this way when he said in Matthew 7, 9, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And he's saying your Father in heaven loves 
to give good gifts because God loves you. That's what a loving father does with his children. In verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace, all blessing abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So my parents uh, grew up during the Korean War um, back in the 1950s, the last century. And if you see photos of Korea at that time, I mean, it is not the slick world of like K-pop and K-dramas and fancy Korean restaurants that you might think of today. But you see the hunger and the devastation and bombed out cities. And, you know, I've shared the story before that many of you know um, about how my father was separated from his family when he was 12 during the war, when they closed the border between North and South Korea. And so he grew up like an orphan on the streets of South Korea. And he will tell these like heartbreaking stories of being homeless and not having anything to eat and being hungry and sleeping on the mountaintop at nighttime, looking down on the lights of the town below and, and of the families who, who lived in those houses and, and so missing, like his heart aching, missing his family in North Korea. So he tells about this one time um, where, you know, he used to sleep inside the door of the church, like the doors were always open and he would sleep inside um, the doors of the church. And one morning he woke up and next to him, there were these two little lunches. And he, he had no idea where they came from, but he ate them because he was hungry. And then the next morning, um, he woke up and there it was again, these two little lunches. And just day after day after day, he would wake up and these lunches would be sitting next to him. So this one morning, um, he was awakened by movement and like through half closed eyes, he saw these two little girls from his class and they were leaving their lunches next to him. And he said that he was so embarrassed because he never told his, his uh, classmates that he was homeless and he told them that he was living with a friend's family. And he said he was just too embarrassed to wake up and, and thank them. So he just pretended like he was sleeping. And they never talked about it at school, but you know, remember too, this was post-war Korea. And so it's not like Koreans were living high on the hog. I'm sure these girls' families were probably not doing that well off themselves. And yet, these girls gave to my dad out of the little that they had. You know, and, and he's got so many stories like that, like how God provided during those very difficult, very lean years. And now, you know, he's this, you know, internationally known pastor with a ministry that has reached thousands of people around the world. But he says that he never forgot those two girls who gave their lunches to him those many years ago. And actually, just a few years ago, he found those two little girls who are now grandmothers. And he had an opportunity to thank them for their generosity to him when he was a child. And he said that he took them out to a very nice, expensive dinner. 
But, you know, he is someone who has known what it's like to receive the generosity of others, and that was multiplied into his own heart, the kind of person that he is, who, whether it was in seasons of less or seasons of more, that there's been this mentality of abundance and this bedrock belief that God was able you can also translate that powerful, sufficient to make all grace abound to him. So that having sufficiency in all things and at all times, he might abound in every good work. It's not, you know, well, I give in order to get, but rather because God is good, because God is full of abounding grace, because God loves to give good gifts and is so generous in giving us God's own son, Jesus, that that generosity then multiplies in my life and the fruit of that reality then generates the abundance in which I'm able to practice generosity with others. That flows from, as Paul says in verse 12, your confession of the gospel of Christ because that's what it is at its heart, is trusting in the goodness and the grace of God for me in Christ. In other words, a transformed heart has direct implications for how generous we are with what we have. I mean, did you know that other than the kingdom of God, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic out there? And that's because he knew that there's something indicative about our relationship to money that says something about our hearts and what we believe about God and about what God is like and whether we trust God, how we view what we have as gifts from God or not. And it has nothing to do with whether we're rich or whether we're poor and everything to do with our hearts. You know, in fact, I know, I'm sure many of us have witnessed it. It's often the people we know who have the least who end up being the most generous. And sometimes people who have incredible resources at their disposal are often the stingiest and most anxious about money. So in a moment, um, I'm gonna give us a chance to just reflect on where we are with all this. And I always remember like at my old church, All Angels people, some people used to say how much they hated stewardship season because they're like, and then you guys always preach a sermon about giving and then they sort of like roll their eyes, you know, at us. And I mean, it's so typical, you know, for churches to be talking about and asking for money. Well, there are two things that can be true at the same time. You know, one is that as a church, we are 100% dependent on your generosity and the generosity of others to support the ministry of this body of believers and the mission that God's given us in revitalizing this church. And we can't do this without you. We, can't, we just can't, we can't do it without you. The other thing that is true is that there is this connection. When Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a connection between our giving and our hearts in that it is a spiritual issue. It's a discipleship issue. And I would not be a faithful shepherd of this flock if I didn't challenge you to give sacrificially and joyfully as God calls us to do, just because I was afraid of how you might respond. So Paul writes that each person must give as they have decided in their heart. So in other words, there's thoughtfulness, there's intentionality, there's prayerfulness, prayerfulness that's involved when we make decisions. 
And so I'm inviting every single one of you, you know, teenagers too, you know, over the next three weeks to make a prayerful decision about giving as part of this community. You know, in some ways, like the amount is sort of secondary, but there's actually something about like sort of praying about and writing down a number that involves an act of trust. You know, it's not written in blood. No one's gonna like come and shake you down, <laughs> but rather it's just saying, okay, God, in faith, I am making this commitment before you as an expression of my trust in you and my gratitude for your generosity to me in Christ. And so if you look at the last page of the bulletin on the very back, you'll see that there's this stewardship pledge form. And you can find this on, on our website as well. And what we'll be doing is we'll be inviting you to kind of pray about this and to pledge through November 20th. That's our goal date to receive our pledges for next year. It's Christ the King Sunday. And on that day, that's when we celebrate Christ is King, Lord of all, that everything we have belongs to him. And you can you know, rip that off. It's not only about finances, it's all also about ways that you can serve or maybe how you feel called to serve. And you can rip that off if you want to, you can check it out online if you want to, but just as if it helps you keep in mind you know, what it is before you as you pray about this. So I wanna invite us now just to take a few moments and for us to, you can bow your head if that's helpful. And just to reflect uh, for these few minutes on what our hearts need as we're being invited into this. And I would say, you know, first of all, just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your own heart in this time. You know, just to come before God with an open heart and say, you know, Holy Spirit, come, speak to me, reveal my heart. How might you be calling me towards generosity and towards giving? You know, maybe it's even asking God to give you like a specific number, I don't know. You know, but just to ask God to speak to you. And I would say especially that even as I'm talking about this, especially if you feel like resistance in your heart, you know, rather than saying, you know, God, I hate it when churches are talking about money, to, rather just to ask God, like, what, like, what's going on in my heart? You know, what is this resistance about? Like, where is that coming from? And to just pay attention to the feelings that come when we talk about money. Like, is there anxiety present? Is there fear present? Is there shame or mistrust? You know, just bring your heart before the Lord. We don't have to be stuck in those places. You know, life with God, as Paul says, is full of abundance and open-handedness and trust, freedom. You know, maybe you need practical help, you know, someone to come alongside and to help you think about this area of your life. You know, and if that's you, you know, come talk to me and we'll find help for you. Maybe you're realizing that your view of God doesn't include a God that you can trust. Maybe you struggle with that picture of a generous God who delights to give. Maybe that hasn't been your experience, and honestly, you have difficulty just trusting God to provide for you. 
Maybe there's a picture of God that needs to be healed in this season, frankly. You know, so that's you. You know, why not come up during the Eucharist for prayer ministry and just, you know, Michelle will be up there and just ask her to pray for you in what needs to be healed, you know, what it is in your heart that needs to be touched. And so God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for being a good and generous God who loves to give good gifts to your children. Thank you for giving us Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor for our sakes. And God, we long to live as generous people who live with a mentality of abundance and not scarcity. God, who live um, loving and giving and caring for those around us. Lord, make us into those who love like you do, cheerful givers. And I just pray that as a church community, God, would you just help us, Lord, guide us in this season of stewardship and help us to be attentive to your Holy Spirit and how you are calling us to take that next step in trust in you. And we entrust the good work that you've begun here at St. Peter's. We, we thank you, God, for the seeds that have been sown here over these past 190 years and what you're doing now in this community. So we love you and we bless you and we offer up ourselves and all that we have to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.